Figuring out who you are is the biggest struggle in life. Deciding on who you want to be is the quest that you start when you're little and you really never finish. I mean, think about it. That is one of the first questions that children encounter, right? Somebody will be down here, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they've got to start figuring out, who am I going to be? And if only, if only that were solved when you got full size. But it isn't, is it? I mean, most of us go through transformation after transformation still looking for who we really are. Well, part of that transformation, in fact, I would suggest a central role in that transformation has to do with who you become because of Jesus. And what the book of Romans does is the book of Romans introduces us Uh, to Jesus, not merely the person of Jesus that we encounter in the Gospels, but who Jesus is to us. What Jesus does for us. Certainly one of the things that He does for us is to save us from our sins. In in chapters 1-3 through of Romans, it becomes very clear that all are under sin and all need a Savior So that if we are going to have hope of eternal life, it's going to be because we have a Savior in the person of Jesus. In chapters 4, 5, and 6 of uh, the book of Romans, uh, we are introduced to the fact that Jesus changes who we are. To believe in Jesus is to become a different person. It's to take on a new identity. It's to go from being in Adam to being in Christ. To having Adam as your uh, leader, to having Jesus as your leader. To living under sin, to living under the Spirit. To living under the law, to living under grace. And so there is this, this transformation about who we become because of Jesus. Which brings us then to Romans 7, which is where we're going to be this morning. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is about the struggle to live according to your new identity. You are now a new person and live like one. If you're like me, it's a struggle to live like the new person. That's what Romans 7 is about. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was simply a switch that flipped in your life and you went from this old person to this new person without a struggle? It's just not that way, though. And so, Romans 7 gives us a clue as to how that happens. We're going to look at the first section of Romans 7 today which talks about how the rules change in the new identity. See, that is one of the early struggles. Uh, Some of you who are older may have a hard time remembering it. It, Sadly, I feel like I was scarred early and deeply, and so I can't forget it. But uh, you remember being in middle school, right? And in middle school, it's when you 
sort of discover that you're no longer this little child and you're now an adolescent. And if you're... (laughs) The rules of being a kid where, you know, you get your dolls out or you get your toys out or whatever you do when you're a kid and try doing that once you get a little older. And your cool friends don't think that's so cool anymore. And you, you all of a sudden you realize... I'm now, the rules have changed. How did the rules change on me? And guess what? You go from high school to college, the rules change again. You go from college to job, the rules change again. You go from job to job, the rules change. You retire, the rules change. Rome 7 is about the rules changing when you go from Adam to Christ. When you get your new identity in Christ, the rules change. So let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But, If her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So in some regard... This is, a, this is a little easier than the rest of Romans 7 because he starts off with a picture or with an illustration. And his illustration is for those who know the law. And it's about uh, the, the law of marriage. Well, the first thing you need to recognize is that the law he's talking about is, uh, for the most part, uh, the Mosaic Law, or the, the Old Testament Law, that the Jews in that church would have known very well. And so he speaks to the church and calls them brothers. And then he says, brothers, especially those of you who are of the Jewish persuasion and know the law, you, you know this. You know that the law is binding on a person only as long as they live. Think about that. That's not, it's not rocket science, right? Okay, I mean, once you're dead, you, you can no longer be um, punished for your sin. You can no longer be uh, accused of wrongdoing. It's just too late. That's his point. Law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. And he picks the law of marriage. The law, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. If her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Now, there's a, a, a very important nuance here I want you to notice. 
in chapter 6, it said we died to sin. Okay, sin being that governing power under Adam that the old way of doing things means that we must capitulate to the power of sin. We must do what it tells us to do. And the thing that connects us to sin is the law. You see, the picture is that we are not, this woman is not necessarily released from her husband. She's released from the law of her husband. And being released from the law that bound her to her husband. That's, that's what we're talking about here. So what it, this, this rule, this law that, that bound her to her husband, she is now free from because he's dead. And we'll see the same is true for our relationship to sin. Once death enters the picture, the, not only are we dead to sin, we are dead to the law which binds us to sin. The rules have changed. So accordingly, he says, she will be an adulteress. I should be calling her adulteress. She lives with another man while her husband is alive. And if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, she's not an adulteress. So his, his message is that if the husband dies, not only is the relationship to the husband severed, but the very law that bound her to him is gone. The very law that had the long finger pointed at her and said, you're an adulteress. That law is no longer in effect. She is free not only from her husband, but also from that accusation. Not only is she free from her husband, she's free from the guilt and the shame that would come because the law identifies her as an adulteress. And so we'll see how that plays out because that's his illustration in those first three verses. I have a a, a personal... um, connection to this law. Um, This is a picture, almost 100 years old, of my grandmother and uh, her first husband. See, I I like my family history. I like like family history because it tells me about the close calls that says, you almost weren't here. Okay, this is one of those close calls that says, you almost weren't here. Because this is my, my grandma and her first husband, whom she married when he had tuberculosis. And he may have only lived about a year and then he died. Had that worked out a little better for them, I wouldn't be here, right? But he died. And so she was free then to marry my grandpa. This is a picture of them at their 50th anniversary. Okay, this, is, this is how old they were when I knew them. And... Uh, he, the first husband died early enough that she was able to be married to my grandpa for over 50 years. And thankfully, that's the case. And thankfully, I'm here. But because he died, she was free then to remarry my grandpa. And uh, that was my close call. Because of the law of marriage there, you see. Now, that law of marriage illustrates for us what it means then 
to be under Adam and then be uh, captivated and in, uh, enthralled with another. What it means to belong to Adam and then to belong to Christ. And that transition required death. My brothers, okay, so he's talking to the same group of people, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. So this is a reminder of Romans 6. In your identity with Christ, His history being your history, you died to the law. You didn't merely die to sin, you died to the law. So sin being that uh, governing power that brings death, you died to that for sure, but the very thing that bound you to sin, that kept you coming back and back and back to sin, the very thing that accused you when you sinned, you died to that also. You've died to the law and you died through the body of Christ. And I think the, the clear picture is the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ, hanging on the cross, uh, dying for your sin, your faith uniting you to Christ so that you died to sin and you died to the law. It, that's as, as clean a break as you can make with the old life. You died to it. Just like death ends the power of the law in marriage, death ends the power of the law once you trust in Jesus. Now, I want you to notice what happens here because this is really wonderful. You died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another. So that you might belong to another. The end of this whole identity search is that you might belong to Jesus. And belong not as a mere possession, but belong as a lover. Belong as someone uh, enraptured with the beauty of the One that you love. So that you might fall in love again, this time, with Jesus. You died for the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong. So that you might have someone who loves you and who has carved out a place for you. See, the search for identity really is a search for where do I belong? Do I belong at work? What do you do for a living, right? That's, that's how so many people answer the question. Where do you belong? The answer, if you are a Christian, is you belong to Jesus. He is yours and you are His. Your new identity is an identity of belonging. You're not on the outside anymore. You couldn't be more on the inside than you are with Jesus. So the power of sin has been broken. The law that bound you to that power is broken. And now you're over here belonging to Jesus. To Him who has raised you from the dead. 
That's, um, excuse me, to him who has been raised from the dead. The, the, the picture is the picture of dying to the law and to sin when Jesus is on the cross and you are united to Him so you're free from all that through death. And then, because of His resurrection, you are now free to belong to Him. And your identification with Him gives you a place with Jesus. To Him who has been raised from the dead. So you have been set free so that you might belong. You belong so that you can bear fruit. Okay? And again, I think probably that uh, this is a, a picture of a, a relationship that is useful, a relationship that has purpose and meaning and a legacy and direction to it so that there is a, uh, this new identity is meaningful and has um, bears fruit. To Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. If one of the main questions is, who am I? That, that question is not really answered if there isn't a valid purpose and if there isn't valid meaning in life. And what he's telling us is that there is a place, a person to whom you belong, so that this identity of yours is one of love and closeness and comfort and nurture. And it's precious and it's beautiful. And it gives you direction and meaning in your life. And it gives you a purpose worth getting up in the morning for in order that we might bear fruit for God. And that is a very different life, a very different answer to the question, who am I, than the answer that we used to give when we were under Adam. See, that's that's verse 5. Verse 5 says, when we were living in the flesh... Now, this is the living in the flesh is sort of a new expression that he's not really used too much before. Living in the flesh is is another description of this category over here, with Adam and sin and death in the old life. While we were living in the old life, that's the description. And most of us would. Not necessarily read it that way. You'd normally read it while we were living in the flesh, and you'd look down at your hand and you'd pinch yourself and you'd say, Oh, I had some flesh here. But the reality is that this is past tense, right? For while we were living in the flesh. And it's no sense writing this letter to someone who is no longer in the flesh, because they're not going to read it. So we know that what he's talking about here is that old life in Adam, the one that you formerly lived with your sinful passions. That's what he's talking about. And so, you were aroused by the law and they were at work in... The the sinful passions were at work in your members to bear fruit for death. 
Now, this is, a, this is sort of an interesting way of describing the relationship of sin and law. Because I told you, I mentioned already that sin is the power, or the law is the power that binds us to sin so that we cannot escape it. The way that it binds us to sin is to arouse our sinful passions so that they are at work in our members, causing us to bear fruit for death. Causing that the, the things that we do in life to be less than productive and useful, in fact, to be counterproductive and self-defeating. Our sinful passions aroused by the law. Now, how are your sinful passions aroused by the law? That's, this is coming up in the rest of chapter 7, but my, my first stab at it, my first thought is that sinful passions are, of course sinful passions are aroused by the law. The very fact that the law calls out the sin causes the sinful, rebellious heart to wake up to the sin. Okay? I don't know how many of you were ever told not to eat those cookies, therefore later. Okay? I, I get that. Too much. What does that do to me? The first thing it does to me, sometimes, sometimes I get that message, I was unaware that cookies were ever baked, right? Cookies? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, cookies. And all of a sudden, I have a renewed interest in cookies that I didn't have before the law came down, don't you dare eat those cookies. That's one thing it does for me. Is it wakes me up to the potential that there are cookies. This happened to me as recently as Monday. And I'm going to relate a story with no bitterness. Because, okay, I mean, these, these cookies made it through Thanksgiving and the cookies made it through Life Group. And so the cookies then were still on our counter. They, they haunted me for two, for, well, for three days now. Then they were all spread out on the, on the plate on Monday afternoon when I got home from work and I looked at those cookies, I said, don't you dare eat those cookies was the message. Therefore, uh, you know, this group, this this group that Lane's going to tonight. Oh, you're kidding me. And so it wasn't, I knew those cookies were there because they'd been there for several days, right? And then this night when I couldn't have them, it did more to me than just, oh, cookies. I already knew that. What it did for me then was then the attitude began to fester. Not, probably nobody else here has a bad attitude when they're told no. But I do have that bad attitude. And, and what that attitude was then, I, I began to get frustrated that I couldn't have the cookies. I began frustrated that you know, Lane was involved with something that night. I got frustrated with Marcia who baked them in order to give them to Lane and not to me. And my, my attitude just... And it's just cookies! But see, that's what the law does for us. And, and that's, that's what's going to come up in uh, verses 7, 8, and 9 is that we're told not to covet. We're told not to desire this thing. And... 
when we're told, our hearts just start working the wrong way. They start spiraling downward so that we get ourselves all worked up about what we can't do and we forget. And that's the way that it works when you live in the old realm. And you get, you get, you, you trust Jesus as your Savior, you come over into the new realm of the Spirit, and sometimes you don't notice, but you catch yourself operating in the old way. And you see, that's what this, this conversation is about. Is I have a new identity, but I find myself operating in the old way. And operating in the old way bears fruit for death. When I am over here and I am coveting or I am um, bitter or I am you know, not truthful or whatever other sin you like to have and you know that the law says no and your heart is just struggling, you're over here working in the old identity. You're over here working as though you still lived over here under Adam. Bound by... Uh, the law to sin. Sin brings death. That's, that's what's happening. And he's saying, no, you're over here. Stop acting as though you're over there. You don't, when you were formerly there, your sinful passions were stirred up and it, they worked in your members to bring fruit to death. And that is true. But that's not the new life. That's not the new identity. Because... You are released from the law. Remember that the illustration from the preceding verses. Okay, death comes and you're released from the law. You're not bound to do things the same way over here any longer. So don't come over here. You've died to that which held you captive. That's the that isn't that interesting that that's his description of the law that it held you captive. If sin, if you were slave to sin, the, the shackles on your legs was the law that bound you to stay subservient to sin. And you are now free from that. You, the shackles are broken. You're over here. And now you are uh, serving Christ. And so you don't need to be operating as though you still lived over there. This is a, I'm just going to stop and say this because I can't say it enough. Christianity is not something that you add to the periphery of your life. You don't simply, you know, add Jesus as one of those other things like your book club or like your job or like your car or like your house that makes up who you are in total. That is not the way that it works with Christ. You have a completely new identity. You're no longer in Adam. You're now in Christ. And so you have changed. Fundamentally, at your core, you're not the same person. And so... Being a cultural Christian, being one who adds Jesus to an already full life, is that's the old way. The new way is that you now have a new identity that frees you from that old way. 
in order that you might belong to Jesus, number one, and number two, that you might serve God. See, there, there, there are two objectives in this transformation, in this new identity. The first objective is back in, I think it's in verse 3, where it says, so that you might, or it's in verse 4, so that you might belong to Jesus. So you might have someone who loves you. You might have some, somebody who will always be there for you. That's, that's why you've been set free from sin and death. The other reason that you've been set free from sin and death is so that you might serve God. So that your life might have this new meaning and purpose. So that what you do might make a difference not just for today, but for eternity. And it's going to make a difference because you no longer serve in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the Spirit. It's no longer do better, try harder. It's no longer beating yourself up over your failure and vowing never to do it again. That's the old way of the written code. That's the way that most of us still operate. We still have this cycle in this old life, this cycle that is sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. And we go around in this circle. That's the old way of the written code, hoping that somehow doing the same thing we're going to get a different result and we never do. Instead, we're invited now to belong to Jesus and to serve God in the new way of the Spirit. So that there is a, there is a power in your life now stronger than sin. God's Spirit. There is a direction in your life that is stronger than the law. So that God opens up for you a new life with new possibilities and new meaning and impact in serving God in the way of the Spirit. And really, that's, again, just a preview, so that you know, hopefully you'll be thinking about this, but that's Romans chapter 8, that's Romans chapter 12. I mean, the rest of the book of Romans is opening up for us this new way of the Spirit so that we're no longer doing the sin, repent, repeat cycle. But rather, we're serving God. Now, part of the beauty of this, I have, to, I have to say, part of the beauty of this is that God has promised this long ago. The good news is that God is doing for you in this transformation of your identity, God is doing for you what He promised He would do hundreds of years before He sent Jesus. In the Old Testament, there's what's called the New Covenant. The New Covenant is found in Jeremiah chapter 31. It's found in Ezekiel 36. Listen to the words of Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You recall the end of chapter 6 where 
it says that you have, in verse 17 of chapter 6, you have become obedient from the heart to the new um, standard of teaching. That's what he's talking He has in mind this new covenant promise that he has enacted in Jesus. And this new covenant is the promise of a new identity that you were over here under Adam, under the power of sin, bound to the law in this endless loop. But instead, God has sent His Son to die on a cross, be buried, to rise again for you so that you now might be uh, in the Spirit, in this new life. And I want you to notice the, uh, the, the verb here. And... I will cause you to walk in My statutes. Part of this new covenant is that God is taking initiative to make sure that you live out this new identity. That you become obedient from the heart to this new standard, this Gospel. This new standard of teaching. He's going to cause us to do that. And so the new identity in Christ is an identity that frees us to belong to Him, that frees us to serve and have our lives make an eternal impact because He has given us His new covenant promise. Now, the reason I bring up the new covenant partly is because it's there in verse 6 when we walk in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the letter. But partly because that is the very word that Jesus gave us when He told us that's what He's doing in this world. Jesus came into this world to enact this new promise with God. The Last Supper. He said, this is My body which is broken for you. And then in the same way, He took the cup and He said, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new promise. This is the promise that you will no longer be under the power of sin, but you'll be under the power of My Holy Spirit. I'll put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes. This is the new covenant of My blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember Me. And you see, it's one thing for us to to celebrate Advent and the coming of Jesus It's another altogether to realize why Jesus came. Jesus came that we might enjoy God's new promise. Where God does for us what we can't do for ourselves to save us from the penalty of sin. To save us now from the power of sin and to grant to us a new identity because of Jesus. So this morning, it's our privilege to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And to remember this new promise that God has enacted in Christ. And so there are two tables in the front and two in the rear. Uh, and I encourage you, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, to get out of your chair and come and take the elements and return to your seat and we'll participate uh, together in just a moment. And if you're here and you're not certain that you're a believer in Christ, we're glad you're here. And feel free to just take a few moments to think about the importance of the decision that you might make to follow Christ. And if 
that's the decision that you make this morning, then feel free to join us. If not, feel free to not participate in this part of the service. That's fine. But this is, this is our way of remembering that Jesus died and rose again that we might have a new identity. Do this as often as you uh, eat it, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So it's, it's probably best. We have a little less room up here because of the Christmas decorations. If you come in the, the inside aisle and return to your seats on the outside, both in the front and the back, that will probably uh, work the best. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are, uh, we are amazed that You love us at all. We're amazed that we belong to You when we feel some days like we don't belong anywhere. God, I pray that even as we take communion, we might feel the, the unity that we have with You. The communion of our spirit and Yours. We might feel the, the unity that we have with other broken people coming to the same table. Finding the same Savior. Living the same new identity. God, would You help us even as we recall our Lord. May You help us to live out and to enjoy and to love Him in this new way. We'll thank You in the name of Jesus. Amen.